Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is someone I've been super eager to talk with. He's the executive producer and writer for Comedy Bang Bang in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's an actor in shows like Love and a comedian who's been holding it down for a wonderful amount of time. Neil Campbell is here. Welcome, Neil. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us how you got into horror in the first place? Um, that's a good question. And one I earlier today was like, you'll probably ask me that and I should have an answer. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think I just I like movies in general. I'm um, a cinephile, I guess. And horror is, is a part of that. You know, I, I don't know that I it's um, I mean, I do love horror movies, but but I uh, I'm trying to think, you know, I mean, it was it something you were into as a kid as well? Or was there like, yeah, a, a I mean, working your way up to it? I think probably I started like liking sci-fi and stuff. And then something like The Fly, I remember seeing oh, man. on like TV. It was like the TV edit, you know, oh, okay. and, <laughs> uh, you know, it's probably stuff like that transitioned me over into horror. I remember when I was a little kid, I was really scared of. I, I, I was like worried I would get too scared at a movie and my friends had a sleepover. I mean, I was like nine and they watched um, Pet Cemetery, and I just hid under. I literally didn't watch the screen. <laughs> I hid under the covers the whole time and I like listened, but I, I couldn't look at the screen. And then I remember like another sleepover a few years later, we watched Total Recall and people were like, oh, the, someone gets their like headshot in this movie. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to be brave and watch it. And then it was like nothing. It's It was like doink, yeah. a little like red dot appears <laughs> on someone's head. And, and uh, I was like, oh, I can take this stuff. But, you know, I'm sure like once you're in high school and, and you know, people have cars or at least you start going out and stuff like right. seeing horror movies. I mean, Scream came out when I was in high school. Everyone went to see that Blair Witch Project came out. Uh, maybe actually that was like a year after I was in high school. Maybe I was in high school. I don't remember. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the, what was Blair Witch Project? I think 99. I think 99, it? right? Yes. Yeah. So, so that was, I was right after my freshman year of college. So, uh, yeah. So I think there's just sort of a social element to, to, you yeah. know, that even if you're like <laughs> also at the same time getting into like, I'm going to watch whatever, like an old black, you know, I'm going to get into like film history. I'm going to watch a Fellini movie. It's not like you're <laughs> getting your friends together and watching that, but, but horror, uh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely it is. And I got to say that segues me perfectly into the next thing, because when we had uh, Mookie Blakelock on the show, Mm -hmm. he told us about how his gateway to horror was the Halloween Horror Fest that you and Paul Rust would put together. Yeah. And in fact, he picked a movie that the two of you guys introduced him to. Yeah. Uh, So I'm really curious to hear about how these come together, sort of how you make the curation choices and all that stuff. Like, what are you looking for in a horror movie for a wide audience? Well, so we started doing that, and, and I, I don't know if we did it every year when we first started, but we, we started doing that, like, 2005 or four or something. And I don't think, I think it was closer to, like, 2011-ish, maybe even a little sooner than that, before it became, like, Oh, this is a thing, a tradition we do every year. I think maybe we did do it every year. I just have a hard time rem- remembering. It just sort of started where we would do like a little movie marathon, and the, just the idea was we'll start with something uh, G-rated or, or for kids, and then gradually increase over the course of the night, however many movies there are. I mean, I think we started with like three, and now it's typically six. It, it would get increasingly like more intense, and and. Sometimes it's sort of a, a judgment call because something's like grosser, but that's also kind of like 
funny and yeah. and then something is scarier but not as like splattery and gory so you know there it, in one way or the other there's a build like for most kid friendly to probably least kid friendly and uh yeah we st- I, I remember like the first time we did it I don't remember everything we watched, but I think we started with that um, Disney, like Ichabod and and Mr. Oh yeah, you know the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, with Mr. Toad and everything. Yeah, right? um, but I think just the Sleepy Hollow, not you know. Oh, just the portion. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that was the first year we did it. It might have also been like Eddie Murphy's Haunted Mansion. That was a very early like first choice, and then we the first time we did it, we ended with Faces of Death. Um, oh man, <laughs> which was that is a real escalation. Yeah, although, <laughs> and I, I, I probably am slightly wrong about this. I haven't watched it anytime recently, but as I recall, like you watch it and it's like there's some stuff that's you know this like real footage, you know that, but it sort of is along the lines of like when they like what make make you watch that like scary video in Driver's Ed, <laughs> where it's like look at what could happen if you like fuck up and it's like yeah. burned bodies and stuff and <laughs> it's like okay there's a little bit of that and then the rest is so fake and like so fakey that it, it sort of is like oh there's it, this is just a made up movie this is uh, but anyway we watched that and then I think the next year we were like well let's amp it up and we watched this thing called I think Traces of Death which is just like the Bud Dwyer video it, it's it's not good it's horrifying right <laughs> and faces death has like dr francis gross and stuff like hosting it like it has a goofy like over the top character the next was just like compendium of horrible Blech. things and I, I think we didn't even make it through it. we stopped we were like this isn't anything uh <laughs> so then it became more just on horror um sorry this is such a long answer no i'm i'm loving it but so yes yeah, so and then every year we've been doing a thing and typically as i hear about movies throughout the year i'll just write a little note to myself I'll email it to myself and write horror fest in the email so I can just do a search <laughs> at the end of the year. And Paul will, will keep track of things too. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just sort of like compare notes and, and I'll maybe like do a little mock-up of a order based on what I'm thinking, but you, maybe with a couple gaps in there and send it to him. Then he'll typically have some suggestions for the gaps or maybe help me decide between a couple of the, you know, ones where it could go either or, or, or we'll talk about like what's the right order or whatever. And so, yeah, I'm always uh, on the hunt for new scares, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and people typically, I think, seem to like it, too, when it's kind of newer stuff. As, as we've we've had classics mixed in over the years and stuff. But um, like I said, we usually start with something for kids. A, a real sweet spot for the second movie is typically like, a 70s horror uh made for tv horror nice yeah like there's a lot of like trilogy of terror and stuff like that which is like a little scarier you know than you know haunted mansion or something but <laughs> but it was still made for tv you know and then and then we kind of start diving into the real stuff i think that's really interesting about the classic stuff because i i like a lot of those classics you know uh those universal monster movies in particular but they are the kind of thing where I like watching them by myself because I can kind of sit there and really like soak in the history of it and everything as opposed to being like, hey, I'm at a party. Let's watch, uh, you know, for, uh, The Invisible Man or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I would say with ours, like the first two people are a little chattier. It's usually light out still, you know, so they can be things that are a little either more for kids or just like a little goofier or or something like things that are dated, you know. Right, yeah. And then by the time we get to some three four five six or whatever 
you know, people are maybe it's getting dark. People are a little bit more locked in on the movie and stuff. And, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little less like, I mean, I, I even mean old, like we won't watch, you know, we used to mix in more like this random eighties, you know, slasher that now has like a great new, like Blu-ray release or yeah. something. And even those, I feel like we've, we've, you know, they're never off limits, but we've kind of gone away from, and, and it's typically three through six or like things from within the last few years. Nice. Is there a subgenre that you find yourself gravitating to more when you're just watching for yourself? I, sorry, my phone rang and well, probably ruined the podcast. Um, <laughs> I meant to put it on. Do not disturb a, a subgenre. Um, that's a good question. I, so when I'm looking for stuff for our horror fest, I am trying to find things that people will be scared by. So I, I think some of those things that are like well-crafted, like, oh no, I don't want the camera to like dip down and look under the bed again. <laughs> like that kind of stuff I think really gets the best reaction out of people or things that are just like big splatter fests yeah. or something, you know? So I like a lot of like the J horror and uh, that stuff that I feel like people really uh, get spooked out by. Like during it and people, you can like, you know, they are anticipating the, the frights. Uh, yeah. So I, as a curator of <laughs> a, horror, a movie marathon for 12 people, uh, <laughs> I uh, am, that's, I guess what I would look for um, in terms of my favorite. I don't know. I kind of like all sorts of stuff. I will say part of the reason I picked this movie was there is something with like a monster movie that I feel like is a little bit more special or something. And yeah. also a, a more like high wire act. Cause if you have a bad monster design, like, yeah, if you have a, a monster look cruddy, it's just like going to be an object of ridicule. Right. And if you have one that's just, I feel like there's sort of a safe zone. A lot of maybe like modern monster movies are in where you're like, okay, no one's going to like make fun of this for looking like cheesy or bad. It's right. just going to kind of not be that like distinct. You wouldn't be able to like, even possibly like, try to draw a bad drawing of it after it's done. You couldn't really remember it, but it's, it's going to like be effective in the movie, you know? Yeah. So yeah. And there's also, I just think something, I mean, I love a lot of like indie horror stuff and I watch a lot of it and we watch a lot at the, at the marathon, but there's something cool where you're like, Oh, th- this couldn't have just been like people who, who raised just like a little bit of money and went and shot in one house out in the woods and yeah. made a, like an indie horror thing. As much as I love those, there's something where I'm like, Ooh, a monster movie. The thing. spectacle. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, uh, I, I love monster movies too. And that's why I was super excited that the movie you picked today, uh, was the 2006 South Korean monster movie from the champion of the 2019 Academy Awards, Bong Joon-ho. We're talking about the host, AKA Gwe Mool. And I'm curious, are you a fan of his other work as well? Yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of Bong Joon-ho and uh, this was the first of his films I had seen. And I, I recall seeing it like, I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I feel like it was one of these things that came out on DVD. Like, I don't even really remember the U.S. theatrical release at all. Right. But as I recall, I had a buddy who worked for the company that released it in the U.S. This was Magnolia, I believe. Yeah. And um, my old roommate was like very good. He, it was how I knew this other guy. And my old roommate was like, we got to watch this movie as I recall. And I, or like my, my buddy is saying it's so great. And, and so we watched it and I just was like, Oh my gosh, I love this. Then I think ever since then I've seen every one of Bong Joon-ho's like features 
in the theater, Mother, and I even saw Okja at the 35 millimeter oh, wow. print print at New Beverly and stuff. So I, I yeah, and, and you know, went to Beyond Fest to, to see him premiere Parasite here and stuff, and he spoke afterwards. Yeah, I, I'm a massive. In fact, I like oddly had never looked backwards in his filmography, and then a guy I work with at Brooklyn Nine Nine, Luke Del Tredici, was like. Oh, you should watch Memories of Murder. It's like as good as Zodiac. And I yeah. went back and watched that. I was like, oh yeah, this is so good. Then saw Barking Dogs Never Bite also. So yeah, I, I he's he's the best. Yeah, he really is incredible. Um, I I was actually just talking today with someone. So I watched Barking, or excuse me, I watched Memories of Murder today. And oh, yeah. I was talking with someone. I was like, man. Every movie of his that I've seen in theaters has not only been as like amazing, but I do think it is improved by the theater experience. And I was like, I really wish I got to see Okja in theaters because it was it was a lot of fun. But that that theater experience, you know, there's just something about it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. And and I've been like lucky also to see. I think Okja certainly Parasite. You know, we're like packed houses when I saw yeah. this stuff, and then really people were loving it. And it's nice because a lot of his stuff, like one of his big hallmarks is his ability to sort of blend genre. And so in something like Snowpiercer, when the, you know, the ax fight, when they're going through the tunnel breaks out, like I saw that in theaters and Holy crap, like people were losing their mind over that scene. So, um, it it really does play really well to an audience. Yeah. I love his ability to just, yeah, yeah, go from like slapstick to like dread horror, you know, to to genuine drama, to like melodrama. Yeah, he's kind of unsurpassed in that. Um, And as you say, he had already burst onto the scene with Barking Dogs Never Bite and Memories of Murder, both of which did get a positive reception, so anticipation was high. And uh, the producers for this movie gave Bong a budget of 11.8 million won, which is around 11 million U.S. dollars. That was huge for the South Korean film industry. And so it's basically the equivalent of what Disney has been doing, where someone like Taika Waititi or Ryan Johnson has a few sleeper hits, and they scoop them up, and they say, all right, go make a Star War. Yeah. <laughs> and he was inspired by the McFarland incident from 2000, where mm-hmm. a U.S. military base in Korea uh, was accused of dumping chemicals into the wastewater drainage by a Korean mortician who'd been working with them. And uh, they eventually admitted to, quote, at most 20 gallons of formaldehyde, which is like such a fucked up, but funny way to phrase (laughs) it. Like that's not good. Yeah. (laughs) The amount is disputed as is the path that the drainage took. Uh, The U S claims that it went to a waste treatment center. Other people claim that it went right into the Han river and it was responsible for mutations and damage to the local wildlife, including a famous fish that was discovered with an S shaped spine. Mm. Pretty fucked up. But according to the statement issued by the base quote, U.S. command regrets the incident and will strive to comply with U.S. and Korean environmental regulations. <laughs> Again, <laughs> just like such a weird, it's not subtle that they're like, we just agreed to strive for it. Uh, so yeah, it's understandable why this would really upset people. And South Korea wound up having to prosecute McFarland in absentia. And so he never served any time or anything. And South Koreans were really upset about what they viewed as their government's ineffectualness. So uh, not a great situation for the Han River. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I mean, just in general, I, uh, this is such a minor thing to say, but I, I really like when someone can take something from real life, but just use it as like as much as they need, like aren't yeah. like, Oh, I'm not going to feel beholden to how it actually happened. Or it's like, I, like you can just use it as a jumping off point that, that inspires you creatively as much or as little as you want to. You don't need to be like, I'm going to tell this 
story of this or, okay, but then the next thing that happened was this, so I need to kind of hew to that. Like, uh, I don't know. Right. I mean, I feel like in comedy and stuff, too, I like it like when yeah people just like, oh, I was inspired by this, and then I took it where I wanted to take it and created my own world of, of a thing. And yeah. yeah, exactly. He uses it as a springboard, and, yeah. you know, he, he his writing is so great that, you know, in terms of making an entertaining movie, using this, it, it calls attention to the actual situation, but it's not so like, yeah, we need to hit every single beat according to real life um, because, yeah. you know, then we wouldn't have a fun monster movie at the yeah. end of it. So. I wonder if I've, I might've actually been, so it was, it was on the U.S. Army base in Seoul where that yeah. happened, right? When I was a kid, I lived in Japan on an army base, and um, we took a trip once to Seoul, and, and I'm pretty sure went maybe maybe we just went to Seoul. Maybe we didn't go to the army base. I don't know why I think we did. But uh, anyway, maybe. Maybe you were there. Maybe I was there. <laughs> Neil Campbell accidentally knocked over a gallon <laughs> yeah. of formaldehyde. I was kind of clumsy, I remember. <laughs> but yeah, so Bong took this. He came up with the story concept, and he brought a lot of the cast on board before there was even a screenplay, because... He started developing this while he was uh, working on um, Memories of Murder, and uh, other people came to this movie from uh, Barking Dogs Never Bite, so there's a lot of people who had already worked with him and were eager to sort of continue that relationship. They finally started production in July of 2005, but ja- uh, but shooting lasted until January of 2006, thanks to the heavy rains causing delay because of their shooting in the actual sewers that emptied the Han River. Hmm. Uh, that length of time also means that they're dealing with a variety of weather, which caused further issues thanks to its effect on the sewers. You know, I mean, during the hot months, the water would evaporate and the silt would turn to dust and the wind would throw it in everyone's face and it would gunk up the equipment. And then on the other hand... The cold months, the water would freeze, and they're constantly having to like break it up and melt it so huh. that they could keep it flowing for filming. But they got their tetanus shots, and they got it done, and you got to respect it. Yeah, yeah. I saw some interview with him, or or heard an or something where he was saying, yeah, that he used all cast he had worked with before because he knew he was just going to be so stressed by all the like <laughs> FX and stuff that he was like, I just need people that like. I kind of know we know how to work together and I'm not going to be like, you know, they're not going to be mad essentially if I'm like freaking out over logistics. <laughs> no, no surprises. <laughs> yeah. As far as the monster design itself, this was something that he was really, like you said, really focused on. It was handled by Chin Wei Chen, who did nearly a thousand designs and 2000 sketches ranging from more fantastical to the more grounded look of what we got, where he leverages the actual environmental impact of the toxins to create a feeling of possibility in terms of like, well, I guess if this monster were to actually exist, like this feels like what the most realistic version of that would be. Mm -hmm. In the commentary, Bong says that uh, the tail and the mouth were the most crucial elements of the design for him. Uh, and that he and Chin wanted it to look different from typical Western monsters and definitely not like a dragon, but that they did want a look that worked in conjunction with uh, the main actor, Song Kang-ho. And uh, they nicknamed the monster Steve hmm. Buscemi based on his performance in Fargo, which I'm like, cut my dude Steve a break. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> but then it was modeled by Weta Workshops, which is famous for the Lord of the Rings movies, and then animated by Orphanage, who did the graphics for Sin City, Hellboy, The Day After Tomorrow. So a real team effort of powerhouses to really yeah. bring this thing to life. One thing that I think is really interesting, and I want to get your take on this as well, is that the monster is on screen a lot which is pretty atypical for monster movies, especially CGI heavy ones. 
it is less than Bong wanted. There's a, uh, he had originally in the storyboard phase 180 creature shots, and then that got reduced to 120. And he said that his reasoning in the commentary was he hates the not showing the monster tradition because what he wants to do is show the creature fully and early so that the audience can focus on the impact of the creature rather than just wondering about what it looks like. And typically I'm pretty big on like, yeah, keep the audience wondering, keep it wondering. But in a movie like this, where it's sort of about the family more than the monster itself, I think it does really work in, in this situation. Uh, how do yeah. you feel about it? Um, yeah. Well, also just what you were saying on those effect shots, I feel like there was an interview I was listening to of his around the release of Parasite where I don't know, maybe it was like the IndieWire one or, or if they even did, I don't know. It was some, some interview, but yeah, I remember he was saying about those effect shots like that, they were, I don't know why they're asking about the host, but they were. And he was saying like, we saw what the budget was and how many effect shots that would get us. And so then I like had to work backwards from there yeah. and like figure out exactly when like storyboard, basically everything. I figured out exactly when it would be an effect shot or not. And I knew my exact number of effect shots I had. And I was like, man, that's such a cool, uh, uh, I don't know. That's just a great way to do it. And, and, and inspiring in a way where it's like, Oh yeah, even like this movie, you know he worked with like the limitations he had and and was innovative you know yeah but I, yeah i would say i think that's i feel like a, a lot of the movie in fact even as i was rewatching it i was like oh so much of it is hey you expect this to happen in a scene well guess what i'm subverting it and it's kind yeah. of something else like overall and scene by scene so yeah i i think it's not surprising that like that includes the and i think it works just in terms of the fabric of the movie as a whole of like yeah that he shows the monster early on i mean it it, you know you get like three little shots right there at the beginning where it's sort of like ominous and and you know when they when it's looking down from the bridge down at the river and the guy like says he sees something like every time i watch i'm like do you see something there (laughs) like like even just like a little shadow or, or do you not see that and and i couldn't like 100% say, I think you don't, but I couldn't 100% say there's not some like effect of, of some shadow under there. Yeah. And then, yeah. So you kind of like are led to believe like, okay, this is one of those movies where it's going to be like a long time before they really reveal it. It starts that way. It's setting that expectation. And then, but yeah, like, like everything in this movie, and I'm sure we'll get into more individual scenes as we go on. But uh, yeah, there's so much where it's like, Oh yeah, we're subverting this or, or we're, we're, going the opposite of what you thought or what normally happens in one of these. And so, yeah, I love that that includes just like showing the monster in broad daylight, like fairly early on, you know? Yeah. I mean, even as little, like little things like, um, breaking convention by doing a lot of head on shots of the monster instead of doing it in profile, which is classically like easier and cheaper to animate because you can just kind of mirror it. Uh, it's, I just love that he was like, we need to make sure that we do it right and not just whatever is cheapest and easiest. Yeah. Well, when you said he he worked a lot on the mouth, I was like, yeah, I could tell. <laughs> There's so <laughs> many shots just like showing the mouth and like every, all these various like layers peeling back and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and when it finally did release on July, se- uh, excuse me, July twenty seventh, two thousand and six, it broke two records in South Korea, uh, becoming the movie that opened on the most screens nationwide at six hundred and twenty, and it became the highest grossing South Korean film of all time, taking the crown from the King and the Clown, and holding on to that title for eight years until the Admiral Roaring Currents dethroned it. 
there you go. That's yeah, that's what I thought, but I wasn't. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> yeah, classic. The admiral roaring currents. But in addition to just making bank at around ninety million won or eighty nine point four million U.S. dollars, critical and audience reception were rave. Uh, it performed excellently at the Blue Dragon Awards, which are a fairly prestigious award ceremony in South Korea. I talked to my buddy who lives in South Korea right now, and the way he explained it to me is that if the Grand Bell Awards are the Oscars, the Blue Dragons are like the Golden Globes or a SAG Award. Gotcha. So still very prestigious, but, you know, um, not not just doesn't have the uh, reach maybe as the Oscars. Yeah. But it picked up the Blue Dragon for a technical achievement. Best New Actress for Go Ah Sung, who plays Hyun-seo. Uh, the Audience Choice Award, Best Lighting, Best Supporting Actor for, uh, for Hee Bong, who plays the grandfather. Mm-hmm. And Best Film, while also getting nominated for Best Director, Best Actor f- uh, for Song Kang-ho, Best Supporting Actress for Bae Duna, Best Screenplay, and Best Cinematography. So really, like, they had a, a, a hand in every <laughs> every pie there. Hey, I say it deserved them. Hell yeah. And speaking of, uh, you know, the comparison to the Oscars for the Grand Bell, Bong did also win the Grand Bell Award for Best Director. So quite the award season for the yeah. host. There were also plans for a Gore Verbinski-directed remake in 2011, but no word of that since, which honestly, mm. good. <laughs> Just yeah. go watch this. It still looks great. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so I do like Gore Verbinski. I, I like uh, Ring and and uh, a lot of what he's done. But I'll say that I I I mean, look, I, yeah, I don't want <laughs> no matter who who makes it. I guess I was if, I if be someone's too gonna do it, maybe yeah. Gore would be the right choice. Yeah. But. Although I will say I was a little disappointed by uh, what was that horror thing he just like his last thing he did, the um, cure for wellness or something like that. Not my favorite, but, you know, I saw it. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back to the show. As we leave 2020 in the rear view and head into 2021, I think we've all earned a resolution to treat ourselves. And nothing says treat like Tuckins, the inside-out, all-in-one s'more. With a crunchy, handmade graham cracker covered in decadent chocolate and wrapped inside a fluffy marshmallow on a stick, it'll be love at first taste. And there's all kinds of great flavors that you can mix and match, including original, cookies and cream, peanut butter cup, and even some rad seasonal flavors. Plus, unlike a regular s'more, Tuckins can easily be roasted indoors or out, over the fireplace, the fire pit, even the stovetop will do the trick. And they stay delicious for up to three months in the freezer. So head to Tuckins.com and use the offer code BEST20 to get a whopping 20% off your order, while also letting Tuckins know you heard about them from the Best Little Horror House. That's T-U-C-K-I-N-S.com and BEST20 for 20% off. So make the new year a sweet one with the No Mess Inside Out S'more. And now, back to the show. As far as the actual movie... So it, it it opens up. I love this opening scene. It's really cool. It has this like casual tension to it. It feels almost like we're setting up one of the like looking at files movies in the vein of like Dark Waters or something. Not necessarily a monster movie, um, but like the smiling menace of a boss commanding you to break the law is oh, like, yeah. really powerful. Yeah, and um, Scott Wilson is who's from In Cold Blood and Killing it. Dead. Yeah, he's great. Rest um, in peace. Right. Uh, yeah. And he, yeah, he's playing the uh, American military pathologist with a passion for dust free bottles of formaldehyde. Yeah. And, and he tells his assistant to pour them all down the drain because of that dust. And the assistant protests. And Scott Wilson basically says, the river is huge. What could possibly happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and start pouring. And it just opens up with like, you get this great cinematography right away where you see him doing this from the back and the camera pans to just show how many he's done already and are ready to be dumped. 
and this great score kicks in and it's it's 200 bottles that that he's uh, ready to dump down and i just think it's such a great opening scene to sort of set things up it's quick it, it, you know but it really has that menace as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I think it's uh, it's funny. I, I I remember that was the first scene when it, and then when I went back and rewatched it, I was like, oh, they're like, I mean, just those cool scenes, Scott Wilson stuff, and 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 uh, maybe I don't know. In my memory, I'd had it as a little more like mustache twirly or something. Yeah. And it was just like it's like more casual. It's like oh, this is just like a thing that happens when you're just like cleaning out the storeroom at the end of the day or something, and it isn't yeah. like as as sort of like evil, you know. Right. Yeah. It, it it feels again more like the real realistic version of how that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so the years pass, and we get some sightings of a weird creature with multiple tails swimming in the river, while the regular fish start to die off. And finally, it reaches the present of 2006, uh, fading in on a, a sleeping Park Gang Do, played by Song Kang Ho. Uh, Bong mentioned that the blonde hair with the roots showing through was a deliberate choice to make him look lazy, which I think is a really nice character thing for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although it is funny that later, like they're on the run, and that's such a distinct thing. Where it's like, I mean, I was like thinking about it as they go on the run, and then he like tucks his hair under like a sort of hood of a hoodie or a hazmat suit or something. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, they're they're <laughs> they're aware that's like a, a little bit of a thing they have to deal with now. Yeah. And there's also a little kid who looks like he's about to steal from the snack bar that Gang Do is supposed to be running. Uh, this is something that Bong mentioned is pretty untranslatable to Western society called Siori, uh, where young kids steal food more out of like mischievousness than anything else. And that if they get caught, they just get uh, sort of scolded instead of arrested or even shot like you would be in the, mm-hmm. the good old U.S. of A. It's not the kid who shows up later, or is it? I don't I don't think it's him. Okay. Uh, it's, I, but they are sort of like introducing this idea. Yes. Yeah. Because later, uh, those two kids do say like the only way that they've managed to survive is by, you know, sort of participating yeah. in this subculture of uh, Sayori. Yeah. So it, it's it's just great setup for for what comes back later. And we're at the snack stand, and it's in a park near the river. And not only does Gangdu run it, but his father He Bong also uh, helps to run it. And we meet Gangdu's daughter uh, Hyun Seo, who, as I said, is played by Go Ah Sung. She's really, really great in in this in this role. And she is the one who tells us about his brother uh, Nam Il, who is an alcoholic, former political activist who came to Parents' Day for Hyun Seo in lieu of Gangdu. And uh, together, Gangdu and his daughter watch his championship medalist archer sister uh, Namju compete on TV. So they really do a great job of introducing you to the whole cast of characters like mm-hmm. right away. Yeah, the daughter. If you, I don't know if you ever watched the show. It's not horror. <laughs> that uh, uh, Midnight Diner or Tokyo Stories Midnight Diner, but she's on an episode of that. That's about a sort of Korea japan romance i mean it's Ooh. like she's like 10 years older you know right. it's, it's like a cute like it's 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 like a half hour like every episode's different little like cute stories but um that's fun anyway i saw her that's the only other thing i've seen her in but yeah she's but, great there you go um and yeah so they're they're flipping over to watch uh this this aunt slash sister and as they're flipping to the event they go past a news story about a suicide on the han river which we had seen earlier in these mm-hmm. uh in this these sort of i don't even want to call it a montage because it's only like mm-hmm. a couple scenes but the the basically the body was retrieved with no lower half and like that's just a little tease that you get yeah before yeah. they flip over to the archery 
But a crowd is starting to gather on the banks, and there's something huge hanging from the bridge across the river, but nobody can tell what it is, especially when it drops into the river and swims over. Uh, one guess that I thought was really funny is someone like really confidently is like, it's an Amazonian river dolphin. Yeah, that's really <laughs> funny. That's one thing where I watch, I'm like, I wonder if that is the exact translation or if that's if that's sort of a guess at like, a, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's such like a weird specific art made up thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess it's, I guess it's probably direct, but yeah, I, I love that scene. I love the way everyone like is looking at it feels real too. Like feels if you did see something that's like kind of beyond comprehension, just like hang in there, you'd be like, wait, what is that? Like, I don't know. You'd be like, Oh my God, aliens exist. That's an alien or, or monsters or whatever run you know i think you'd just be like i i'm not what i'm seeing i can't be right about you know yeah uh, i think that's the, that energy they have is is perfect definitely and the energy manages to stay because it emerges from the han river and begins attacking people because it is in fact not an amazonian river dolphin but is a mutant fish monster and people just scatter it's mm-hmm. incredible like when you see it for the first time running down the riverbank, you're kind of like, oh, it's like kind of goofy. Like it's running right at yeah. them. But it quickly starts like knocking people into the river and launching them into the dank stratosphere with the main tail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is funny, like how clumsy, I mean, that it's on that sort of steep riverbank thing. Uh, partially is it. And then just also like the way it moves even on flatland. But yeah, it's funny that it is like just clearly a danger and like might kill them. But it is also like flopping around kind of and like losing its balance. And yeah, I mean, again, that, that, that sort of Bong Joon-ho thing of like, not quite give you know, it isn't just like, it isn't alien. It isn't like this perfect killing machine yeah. that's just like shown up and is doing, it's, it's clumsy and, and stuff, but it still is obviously like out for blood. And even right. if it's clumsy, it's like crushing people and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah. That again, it makes it feel like a real animal to me as opposed yeah. to something like you said, like a perfect killing machine, like the xenomorph is this feels like something got mutated and now it's, it's out and Oh God, maybe this is like a new apex predator or something. Yeah. It's, it's really great as the guys at the beginning implied with the multiple tails. There's like a handful of more like classic looking fish tails, just sort of like stuck onto its back, which yeah. are flopping around and all again, sort of that same, like it is funny, but also you're like, oh, that's kind of gross as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's like in real life, like when you go to like the reptile house at the zoo or something like that. It's it's if I'm like, you know, there's a <laughs> see the glass between me and a creature, you know, so I'm not like in fear that it might attack. But like, yeah, I, there's something we just get to stare at like a weird yeah. bug or <laughs> like gross little creature. I I love that. The sound design in this movie is also worth mentioning because as the monster runs through the crowd, it hits this one lady with just like a sickening thud. Mm-hmm. It corners a bunch of people in a trailer and there's just like screams erupting as blood like, pours out from under the door. It's really like it gets intense pretty quick considering how sort of like jokey is not really the right word, but he does balance that comedy of yeah. the like losing the balance and everything. One thing I thought about that was minor, but like the amount of blood that pours out, I was again, rewatching in my memory. I was like, it's, it's shining trailer level, like gushing out. And then like I watched and I was like, it really is. It's, it's like a more like, I I mean, and I'm sure like the choice was made. Like, I don't want this to be like, guess what you're in for splatter farm. Like that, that Mm -hmm. it's, 
that he's like, okay, it's there's blood coming out because a lot of people are dying in there. But in the amount of time that they've been like, there's only been so much time for blood to come out and stuff. And, and like the puddle is somewhat modest, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's also an American character there who's calling everyone buddy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. trying to be a hero uh he's literally punching the monster in the leg he loses his arm for the trouble though yeah gang do tries to grab his daughter from the crowd and run but they trip and when he tries to go again he realizes in the chaos that he grabbed the wrong hand and it's just really heartbreaking as it like slows down and he realizes and he stares at this like this girl and her actual dad and then turns and you just see hyun seo get snatched up by this yeah. monster heartbreaking yeah that's that's great i feel like i'm probably wrong about this but i feel like i whatever art i originally saw i feel like the, the original posters and stuff i feel like were i don't know a sort of like splash or something i forget exactly what it was like a sort of water shot or a river shot or something or, or i don't know but i feel like the more recent art they've used on dvd releases or or whatever on on a streaming service like the the still is like the just her kind of like with the tentacle around her you know the tentacle coming from out of frame and her her just kind of being thrown backwards yeah it's it's a really powerful moment and and you know i think it is a a interesting uh poster moment because without the context of the movie or it does just kind of draw you in and be like oh what's going to happen but yeah it's it's sad and they assume that uh hyunseo is dead him and the government and uh both of gangdu's siblings show up at the mass funeral for the victims and it quickly degenerates into like squabbling and fighting uh there's a classic bong joon ho drop kick at one yeah. point yeah <laughs> But a government official sort of strides through the background of the shot, and I love that they like call attention to him with a joke of him slipping. Him slipping, yeah. I, it's really effective. It shows that government incompetence that he's sort of driving at. It just really works for me. Yeah, I mean, it's funny if I talk about this movie with people who have seen it, and and you know, or even I was talking to someone else that I was doing this uh, podcast, and that scene comes up a lot the the all of them crying on the floor and then like you know like i think it is just like for american audiences that aren't used to like this sort of i mean any audience really and not just american i think you know it's it's something unique i think to wang junhova of like that that sort of rapid kind of uh tone shift you know and and where it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's t- like making fun of them this is it just sort of feels like it's you know it's it's aware i don't know it it's obviously like a funny scene, but you're not, you don't think like they're exaggerating it. You buy like yeah. these characters would be ex- like expressing themselves in that way. But it is like, like, I mean, it's just also what makes him so great. But like all the people come in and take photos and you're like, yeah, they would. That's not added. Like clearly this is a good photo op for like local newspapers covering this story. Like the yeah. family crying on the floor, of course. But then like the weird thing where the guy comes in and he's like, who parked their car? <laughs> and, and you're like, oh, and then there's also just like business going on. Like, that's so, I'm like so impressed by that. That's just such like a, uh, it's just, uh, I love that. But um, yeah. And then when that guy comes in and, and slips, I mean, it's probably the most then meta joke in the entire movie where he goes like, they're like, what's going on? He's like, uh, we'll save time by the local news explaining it. And, you know, and he's turns on the TV and looks at shit. He's like, oh, the news isn't on. Okay, I guess I'll try to explain, you know, like that's so. And then like later in the movie, 
fully they let the local news ex- like they just cut to the local news <laughs> yeah. at one point and they explain all the, like the agent yellow stuff so he, he's like aware like look I, at some point in these horror movies you have to have the local news just or, or I, I keep saying local i think i just mean news but you have to let the news yeah. explain <laughs> like the boring exposition but it, oh, like yeah. again it's like thing where he's subverting it he's like I mean, like I say, probably the most meta moment where a character fully is like, it's easier to just let the news explain this. <laughs> and then <laughs> can't find it. It's like, oh, uh, so, man. Yeah, it should be on now, but all right, I'll just. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So, I mean, honestly, at that point when I was rewatching this, I was like, I do love this movie. I think you obviously like monster certainly falls under like horror as a genre. But I was at that point a little bit like, well, I'm glad to talk about this movie because I love it. And it is a big monster movie. But it is like, I was like, man, every year we do this horror fest, I seek out so much stuff looking for like stuff that'll like either be really scary, you know, like, you know, whatever, Satan slaves or whatever that, that oh, yeah. usually watched or, or you know, like Mookie watched Wreck, you know, stuff or things that just like fuck people up, you know, where we all watch <laughs> like Martyrs or Raw or, you know, what, we did a virtual one this year and what do we end with something something gory you know in any way i all i'm I'm getting is like i spent so much time looking for horror that will like scare or horrify you like uh, either like gross you out or scare you and then i was like this movie's more of like a comedy really like it's so (laughs) there's so many scenes where it's like basically just comedy setting an expectation and then breaking it yeah and i was like I, I just, anyway, I just thought it was funny that I spent so much time on the hunt for great scares and great, like, horror. <laughs> and then, like, then what I'm gone here to talk about is I truly love it, but not the scariest, not the, like, most horrifying movie, you know, whatever. Right. It's not, hey, like, an extreme, you know. that Look, best has a lot of meanings. And yeah, I think that the yeah. fact that it does manage to balance those tones, for me, is part of what makes it the best horror movie ever made. Yeah. Uh, also, just uh, while you were mentioning those, have you seen... Uh, terrified that Argentinian yes we did that as um, that was a big hit that yeah, was a, big a good hit. one we did that one a couple years ago in the horror fest yeah I remember my friend Leslie Arfin was a big fan of that one yeah, um, yeah that one was great what did we end on this year well you you, you, you I'll, I'll look up yeah. <laughs> one of our liners now I'm just thinking of... well while you look that up uh, yes. the guy he he Makes he looks for the news, nothing's on. He announces that they're quarantining people who had contact with the creature, uh, including Gang Du and his family, because the creature is host to a crazy and deadly virus. And that's sort of where the title is coming from that this monster yes. is the host. And um, while there's still, there's like they're quarantined in this hospital, in the middle of the night, Gang Du receives a phone call from Hyun Seo who says that she's trapped in the sewers with a fish monster. But between the fact uh, that the battery is dying and earlier they are explicitly like, this is a crappy phone. <laughs> it stops working. It just, I can't even imagine, like, that's horror and melodrama at the same time for me. The fact that, like, he's getting this call from this daughter he thought was dead in the middle of the night while he's in the middle of this quarantine. Like, not only is he balancing tones within the entirety of the movie, I think even within single scenes, yeah, he's sure. really managing to do it well. Yeah, you know, one thing that I got a little, I, I again, <laughs> I could have gone back and rewatched and figured out. They do set that thing up about the phone not working, but then is it the phone that he has? Like, did she just get a cell phone off of someone else in the pit? Or, yeah. or so it's it's his phone that has, like, it, it's not her phone. 
It's not the one that they've set up as having a bad signal, right? No, so yeah, she digs through the guy's like jacket and finds and a finds phone. Finds a different phone, yeah. And so, it, so the bad signal is kind of on his end more yeah. or something. Worth okay, yeah, that makes sense. But back at the river, they, we cut to them and we get to see more of the monster in uh, a really sort of fun subversion for me. One of the people who's patrolling stops to grab like a dollar that he finds on yeah. the riverbank, and he and the camera both look at the river, sort of waiting for something to happen. And there's a very tense moment, and then it just sort of breaks, and we think it's this great fake out until all of a sudden the monster swings down from the top of the bridge yeah. and grabs him because. I mean, uh, this is great because obviously we've seen that it can use its tail to hang. So why wouldn't it be able to use it for navigation and maneuverability? It's just, it's really well established and executed. Yeah. Um, and this is going back a moment and then also sort of jumping ahead. Well, I'll, only, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make mention of it here and then there's probably more discussion on it later. But it is an interesting thing, I feel like, that there's this element of the virus thing at all. Like, and that it carries a virus and that it's setting people up to, to like, you could fully write this movie and, and not even like, write Just like, Oh, the most like traditional, boring, normal version of this movie, but you could fully write this movie with the, the, the family with, you know, the, the tone shifts with everything and just have them be looking for the monster. Like you don't necessarily need this element of this virus. That's a fake virus. That's all that's it's, it's such like a, I mean, I feel like it, it makes the movie about something a little more because it lets it probably sets up all the stuff about like the government is lying to you, which, you know, in 2006, we have, all, you know, Bush and WMDs and everything like I it feels fully like, oh, I got to make this about something and not which I think is a good instinct and not yeah. just like uh, people getting killed, you know, left and right. But there's like some idea to this movie underneath it all, you know, definitely, um, which I, I, I think is cool. But uh, anyway, there's more I have to say on that, but it'll come <laughs> later. There's 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 scene specifics. Yeah. Basically, the police and the doctors don't believe the Park family, and so they bust on out of that hospital. Really fun sequence. This is something that, I mean, this this blender shot, like, there's wacky music playing, definitely yeah. an explicit comedy moment, but it just doesn't feel out of place at all for me. After their escape, Hebong purchases supplies and a map from some gangsters, um, while in the van, the rest of the family discovers that they're being searched for with their names and pictures on the news. But when he comes back to the van, he tells them it was $500 and not the 11000 and change that it really was. And Nam-il says that the supplies weren't even worth the $500. And again, this is also something that will sort of come up, but this sort of thought of like people taking advantage of other people in a time of crisis like this yeah is certainly something that he brings up again and is is explicit in this moment where uh, the gangsters take advantage of them yeah yeah there's so many like that's like a scene yeah whereas it said like that scene of the, everyone crying on the ground is i think when i bring it up to friends people even remember and, and i feel like talk about a lot and certainly when i've shown this movie to people who hadn't seen it before the opening attack sequence it's it's great that it comes in so early people are uh you know it's it just hooks you in you're like oh this is going to be an entertaining movie but then there's all those little scenes like that that i kind of forget until i rewatch and then you're just like oh yeah it's it's uh i, I won't say anything more insightful than what you just said but where you just get 
to see how all these different sort of elements of society are reacting to this attack and, and trying to sort of capitalize on it. Yeah. Yeah. They pass through a checkpoint and they're surprised at the lack of actual effort to check anything, which, you know, to your point about how this sort of comes up again with the government lying, in addition to the what we think is just government inefficiency, you know, you're also like, well, who knows that this is sort of a fake virus. That's a really, I feel like you'd have to, I'm sure the internal logic is completely consistent. I mean, there's nothing that I think isn't, but it is interesting to try to know who knows it's fake and who doesn't. Cause I don't think the, like the, the, the regular like soldiers on the ground or the people doing the sort of grunt work of, of the, spraying the disinfectant or whatever i don't think they all know this i don't think it's like a massive conspiracy right and certainly at this point in the movie we don't know anything but then that guy is like the foreman of whatever company uh, that that's in that's doing disinfectant and he sort of seems to be aware or at least suspect that it's yeah it's fake and so i guess that's our first hint of it but it is funny you're like well the other guards and stuff around don't all know this, but this guy, I think, like they go out of their way to be like, I'm the foreman, I'm in charge. So it, there's some like level of like, okay, at this level, these guys know. They do have to bribe this sort of manager foreman guy at the checkpoint mm-hmm. to get through the last part. And again, sort of a really like heartbreaking moment when He Bong takes Gangdu's cup of noodles bowl full of change that he was saving to get uh Hyun Seo a new phone. Yeah. But also you're you're like at the same time, he doesn't know this, but we're also like, ah, oh, he's also given up so much already as well. It's really uh the strain that uh, uh, an emergency like this and a, or an illness or a pandemic or whatever can really put on a family. It can be really tragic and I think that they they really communicate that well here in this scene yeah i mean it's something and i think he does this a lot in his work where it's like it's not like they were on top of the world and it's it's like they're about them losing everything it's like people that are already struggling then sacrificing so much more and losing more and and you know i feel like mother does that as well and and certainly parasite and stuff where you're just yeah i mean a little more it's not just a straight downward trajectory obviously especially in parasite there's the so up and down, but you know, the, yeah, just seeing people who are already like struggling and stuff, like willing to sacrifice more than people who have a lot, you know, I think is a, you know, insightful yeah. look at humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly is. Um, and so they search the marked off sewer entrances from the map and they have no luck. There are two homeless brothers though, who managed to avoid detection in the sewers, uh, Seijin and Seiju. And, you know, they're freaked out because they got a shotgun blast shot at them. <laughs> yeah. But they managed to sneak off and they go to raid He Bong's snack bar for food. Um, and this is a moment where they explicitly refer to Siori. Uh, mm-hmm. And they say that they won't take the money because then that would make it theft instead of just taking this food. And it's a great moment here where uh, Seijin and Seiju are attacked by the monster. And we get this really interesting match cut where they're running for the door, but when it opens, it's He Bong opening. Uh, yeah, a they do door. that a couple times in the movie. I think it's always it's great. I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah, just uh, shows you just like oh yeah, an innovative filmmaker who like knows how to just make a movie in a fun and entertaining way. That's like it's not necessarily jokes. I mean, sort of, but you know that that's 
just adding so much to everything, every detail. Yeah. And again, also like that, that social critiques, like, yeah, these two homeless kids won't steal the money, but every other person we've seen who has money and means is like happily taking bribes and stuff, yeah. you know, it's, it's, and it's another insightful look at humanity. <laughs> Um, one uh, after another. Nothing smart to say. <laughs> well, hey, stupid. <laughs> get ready. Get ready to say that a third time because uh, yeah. the, the Park family. This is really a, a dumb guy trying to like describe <laughs> a genius. <laughs> like, I'm like, it's good that he's doing this stuff. Like, I'm so stupid and he's so hey, smart. Man, I'm right with you. I'm right with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the Park family eats this quiet dinner in the snack stand. And it's this really great image made even more potent by the quote-unquote appearance of uh, Hyun Seo. And each member of the family feeds her a piece of their meal. It's really, it's beautiful. It's yeah. full of hope. They just want to reunite their family. Now, that is, it's, theoretically, it sort of is a real thing that fades into a dream, right? Like, when we go, come back to the family, they are inside this, like, they sort of seem to be post- post that scene but but yeah. the end of that scene cuts to her dreaming in the pit right, right. so it's sort of is a, a cool kind of hybridy thing that is half real and then at some point shifts into her dream right yeah well I, so first i think that it's a really bold stroke to put this yeah. like contemplative and beautiful scene like right in the middle of your combination kaiju pandemic movie yeah <laughs> like, um but then on top of that to cut from this family who is already struggling and, you know, is sitting there eating this quiet dinner, to cut then to uh, Hyun Seo, like, waking up and catching drips of condensation in her hand to stay alive. Like, that's her water source. Yeah. It just really is like, it can always be worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, Bong joon likes... He doesn't mind his actors getting wet, huh? He, no. he, he'll. <laughs> that's like the the worst thing. Yeah. Acting, yeah. Uh, the monster comes back and it or comes back to where Hyun Seo is in this like uh, dungeon of of the sewers, and it regurgitates the two boys. Although only Siju is alive, mm-hmm. and it looms over them and looks just really great. This is one of those head-on shots that. I think if this was profile would not be nearly as effective because this really puts you in their shoes instead of feeling like a bystander. Yeah, that's uh, it's funny, too, because I I'm sure this was an earlier scene at this point. But again, like when she first is in the pit, you're like, okay, so does the thing want to like, does it keep people alive in its throat because it wants to eat living people and then you sort of like oh no she just sort of like luckily yeah like didn't drown or suffocate or something everyone else down there is dead and and obviously the kid too but yeah it was it's fun we were like learning those rules along the way yeah back in the food stand the parks see the creature watching them and they open fire on it but quickly run out of ammo plus attract the attention of the military. And so. it's also doing something kind of weird. It's like looking up and like drinking rainwater or something, yeah. right? Yeah, which is sort of similar to what she was doing. But um, uh, yeah, it's cool too. And you just, whatever. <laughs> they yeah. clearly have their like biology for the creature figured out. And they're like, okay, if it's not in the water for a long time, it needs water. So it's <laughs> rainwater, like it looks like a flower almost, but yeah. Yeah, it's but it's the little things like that that really do help it feel fleshed out and not yeah. just like, all right, throw this monster on there. It doesn't really matter. Like, yeah. uh, I, I think that it is 
the the small moments like that that really help to build it out. Yeah. Unfortunately, the creature does attack them, and Hibong is brutally knocked to the ground by the creature. He slams his head. Uh, he dies. It's really like sad, and the blood pooling on the road as he gets dragged away is grim. <laughs> like, yeah. You're like, oh, man. Gang Du, however, is captured by the army while his siblings that's, get away. That's the scene with the, where he gives him the gun, right? And he says there's yeah. there's one shot left, and then he's wrong. That moment when you cut to him, like where he like cl- he clicks the trigger and nothing fires, and it cuts to Tong Kang Ho or Gang Du, like looking at his fingers counting. I, I don't know. I, there's something about that where I'm like, that dude is the best actor in the world. Yeah. Like that, like look when he's like not like ooh, wait, what? <laughs> like like he's he's not like indicating I'm trying to count. And he's but he's also like worried for his dad, and he's like realizing he made a mistake and oh man that, that's yeah that moment i'm like i know it's such a quick shot but that moment i'm just like that dude is so good that it feels crazy. like real surprise it doesn't feel like someone who read the script and is like okay i know that there's not going to be enough yeah and it's funny it. i think a cool thing too where like you know you see a lot of movies and you sort of get someone's like redemptive arc like you just sort of see it in like the first scene you can just sort of see the cards on the corkboard you know yeah <laughs> and you're just like oh god this guy was like afraid to use a knife it's gonna you know do something brave at the end of cowboys versus aliens or something <laughs> whatever <laughs> you know and that he fully fucked up and basically his dad died because of like his yeah. fuck up. like he missed his dad if his dad didn't think there was a bullet he would have kept running with him you know and so it's it's just like yeah, there's no like thing that comes back later where it's like he counted the right bullet you know yeah. <laughs> later oh, it's just like yeah he made a mistake and and it's what if a bunch of like befuddled in over their head people were in this like crazy situation and they have to like think quickly on their feet it's exactly what might happen and it's not plotted out by like a hero's journey yeah that that i love absolutely but so Gangdu gets captured by the army, who's planning to deploy Agent Yellow, a chemical designed by the U.S. to wipe out biological agents. Agent Yellow is a clear reference to the American liberal use of Agent Orange in and during the Vietnam War, uh, devastating the local animal and human population, with long-lasting effects lingering in the area for generations. There is something so. weird, and again, this is one of those things where I feel like part of the movie is disinformation. But there's something I feel like that they say this is like where it cuts to the news segment, right? Yeah. And I feel like they say it like kills every I think the term in the subtitles anyway is biological agent. Yeah. Which I assume just mean any living thing. I think it says within like 10 kilometers. Yeah. You're like that is truly like that would be the most devastating weapon of (laughs) all time. And there's something there. I'm like, is the translation off or is the like is is that true? What? Is it not often that's what we're actually supposed to, or what they within the world of the movie believe is going yeah. to happen when this thing gets released? And also, just because they're saying biological agent instead of like life form, I was like, oh, is this like a, is it killing the virus or is it killing? But it sounds like they're saying they will, it'll kill the creature. Yeah. It I, is something I don't that know. like it tripped me up a little. I feel like every time I've watched it, I'm a little like confused over what. Because then when they're all protesting there, I I assume what they're saying is like, yes, this is going to kill everything within 10 kilometers. We think the creatures within 10 kilometers, everyone else get out of here. But, you know, they also are like, everyone's protesting there as if 
and I guess you would protest a thing that's going to kill everything within 10 right. kilometers, but like, uh, and also maybe I just misread the subtitles, but, uh, well, I think that I almost wonder if that confusion is intentional where it kind of plays into that misinformation uh, yeah. aspect of it. Cause where, that is obviously, yeah. Part of the fabric of the film. Yeah. Um, like the vagaries of government speech. And, and like, if you, if I saw that on the news, I would also be like, well, what the hell does biological agents mean? Like, am I going to be okay if I stay here? Do I need to like yeah. evacuate? I, so I, I agree that it is kind of confusing. I don't know if people out there have a strong opinion, let me know, I guess. Yeah. but, but I think it's really interesting. And, this obviously the fear of the virus after this news reel spreads like a virus. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I I love the scene where the group is waiting for the bus and they're all wearing masks. Oh and yeah, the guy like coughs and then spits in a puddle and it gets splashed up on. Yeah, them by a that's just like vehicle. a like a comedy scene. They just can't, that's great. Yeah, there's stuff too. Obviously, now you know, <laughs> now that we all do wear masks and there is a pandemic, it is funny. Like. There's a couple times in it, I think, like, I feel like maybe it is when we go back to the brother there. I feel like there's something where he has the mask under his nose and then he puts it up, like, see someone coming and puts it over his nose. I think, oh, I, I mean, <laughs> it's possible in the movie he's just doing that to, like, disguise his appearance, you know, so that people don't catch him. But it is a thing where, like, oh, I just see that happen now in yeah. life. I was like, but, you know, in cultures that were wearing masks way more often, maybe that was... People have just known about that for you. Like, you got to put it over your nose. But <laughs> yeah. It sort of maybe sucks over your nose. So if no one's around, you have it under. But then when you see someone come and you put it right. up over your nose, you know, I was like, wow, I never had even noticed that really before. Yeah. It re- I mean, when they're all, there's a shot where they're all standing there, like looking up at a big screen outside. And I really was like, oh my God, this looks like it could have been filmed today. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's wild. But. In addition to Gangdu being captured, uh, Nam Il and Nam Ju are separated from each other. Like I said, they sort of went off into different directions. And uh, Nam Il goes to meet an old friend for help with tracking uh, Hyun Seo's phone call. And this friend says that it's extremely simple in sort of a mirror inverse of what the police said to Gangdu earlier when he was begging for help. Yeah. Really, again, sort of that uh, commentary aspect that it's not it's not subtle, but it's it's very effective. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I feel like it's around here where you start to get and maybe there was mention made earlier and I just didn't pick up on it. But where you start to realize the brother was like a revolutionary in college and maybe that's contributed to why like you just sort of I think think he's like an aspiring salary man who has a drinking problem and that's gotten in his way of being like the ordinary businessman he wants to be you know and it is at this point we're like oh maybe he was like a radical and that's kind of blacklisted him in some way or there's some some something to do with that or something that's that's relevant to his unemployment yeah um, well, he's certainly a radical now because the government has placed a bounty on not just his head, but the entire family. And this friend, quote unquote friend, tries to capture Nam Il, but he does escape after obtaining uh, Hyun Seo's location. Meanwhile, Nam Ju is recuperating when she gets a text telling her where Hyun Seo is. And I love the music when she runs across the field. I thought it was really just oh, yeah. spectacular work. And she finds the sewer, but the creature is there too. And she gets slammed into a wall and knocked out falls into a crevice that the creature can't get her in. 
But when she was knocked out, she was on the phone with Gang Du, who is still in military custody. Mm-hmm. Gang Du is being completely manhandled, degraded. It's really like, I feel so bad for him. It's terrible. And the scene where he's talking to the American with the translator and he says yeah. that no one will listen to him and he begs them not to cut him off because his words are words too. It's just real. I, like you said, this guy is yeah. just an incredible actor. By the way, the, the American actor that, that's. Uh, Paul Lazar, I think, who's in Silence of the Lambs. He's the guy who's like one of the bug scientists. And he's like, oh, wow. He's like, would you like to go out for cheeseburgers and beer or something? <laughs> <laughs> like that oh. guy is great. Yeah, I, I didn't even recognize him, but that's really funny. Um, they Everyone involved in that scene is doing a spectacular job because it, it does, his performance doesn't work if you don't believe the situation that he's in. But yeah. I mean, he just really does amazing. And they ignore him yet again, insisting that he's delusional and that the virus is in his brain. And it yeah. has to be because they haven't found it anywhere in any of the victims. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing, again, like tracking the who knows what about the virus and what is fake or real. This is another scene where I, and again, I'm not saying this as a complaint. I'm just like, oh, it makes it an interest. It's like The Shining or something. <laughs> it's an interesting thing to speculate on. But it's, I feel like in that scene, you go, okay, so this guy is like a higher level. He seems to know it's fake, but does he like fully know it's fake and the, and everything is, is a fake or is he just going, or does he just have access to the info of like, I don't know that we're totally faking this, but there hasn't actually been a virus show up in people. And when he's saying we need the brain, is he going, we got to do something as scientists, because we haven't found the virus yet, but I, but I think the virus exists. So I'm gonna maybe we should look in the brain. Or is, does he is he just fully like, I know there's not a real virus, but if I tell them not to do anything, they're gonna get suspicious. So I have to tell them to operate on it and get a brain sample. You know, yeah. so it's it's a I don't know. It's a funny like I don't quite know who knows what ever in the movie you know yeah. which i think the movie is aware of and, and there's another scene later that plays off of that and i'll get to that but uh all the stuff with that doctor and then in the surgery and all of that um there's there's a little bit of confusion for me constantly over who knows what you know it, yeah exactly because they go to lobotomize gang do basically to silence him and first of all the way that this shot is composed is just incredible with him strapped to the floor and it's horizontal against the uh, across the majority of the screen and there's yeah. the deep red of the floor uh, in the background yeah, and that like protractor thing that like just fully looks like it's out i mean i bet it it's probably real but yeah. <laughs> it also like <laughs> looks like something that would be in like dr frankenstein's laboratory or something you know yeah. or, or like reanimator or something yeah and i mean he's fully like going through the stages of grief on that table like he goes from anger to bargaining yeah. to despair yeah, to funny. acceptance like it's really heart-wrenching but back at the sewers uh, Hyun Seo is doing she's not willing to lie down and accept it she makes a, a rope out of clothes and uh, she's talking with uh, Seju cute kid talking about all the things that he wants to eat and how yeah. he'd like to live at the food stand like them I was wondering if they improvise if they were just like just tell us things you'd want to eat like if, if that was all scripted or if they kind of had some fun improvising yeah. with that stuff I don't know it, it, it does it could really could go either way because I think that that kid does put in a pretty solid performance for a yeah, child actor yeah, he's great but they, they get the rope to hook onto the grate above, but it's too short. And they're interrupted anyway by the return of the beast who drops like a skull into the pit, followed by about like 10 bodies worth of bones. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
And at, the, at this point, we've also noticed that there are fewer bodies there, right? Or is this late? I forget. Like, there's at some point where it's like it seems like these aren't just randos he's eating out in the city. Yeah, he he does pull people out of the pit to eat them as well. Or is this when? He he we, pulls one up right then. He pulls right up then. another court. Okay, okay, yeah. And he and he also tries to get at the two of them, but they manage to scamper mm-hmm. back into their little uh, mini sewer. There is something. I forget if it's in this scene or or one of the earlier pit ones, but where like just when I was watching, just looking for details last night, where I was like, oh man, there's like a little rat in the pit with her. It's you know, and it's like any animal at all. I mean, maybe look, maybe it was a special effect, but you're just like, <laughs> he was like, no, I want a little rat in the, on along the wall there. <laughs> You know, it's like, there's a lot going on. You should, what if the rat runs the wrong way? Or the trainer, you know, it's like, no, we're going to have a little rat that, you know. Make it and work. It's, it's probably a CGI. Who knows? But then, like, <laughs> when they pan across the wall, and there's, like, the millipedes, but then, like, the corrugated iron bars look like millipedes. <laughs> there's yeah. just, like, that that weird stuff. I, yep, those things look like millipedes. I don't know why that's there, but I don't I know either, it. but it looks good. It looks so cool. <laughs> Gang Du has blood drawn from him. And this is when he leaps into action because he grabs the syringe and he uses their fear of the virus against them. Yeah. So that's the thing where they again, I wasn't even sure he really had brain surgery. Like, but then when at first when I was every time I rewind, I, I just can't quite ever totally remember how this tracks. I was like, did he, did they really have give him brain surgery? Or do they just know it's a fake thing and they're just like fucking with him? But yeah. they clearly think there's really a virus. So they think they did give him surgery. Uh, and also, I think because there's that story earlier about like, I mean, that's just like a straight up joke. When he's like earlier, he's like, I know you think he's dumb, but people used to ask him directions because he looked <laughs> smart. <laughs> just like not saying he actually did anything smart. Just like he looked smart is so yeah. funny. As a way to try to compliment him. <laughs> As and, a two-year-old also. Yeah. <laughs> and they're and then they're like, what does he say? He got hit on the head a lot, right? Like yeah. and it's just it's like, okay, so maybe the brain surgery took out the like tainted bruised tissue or something. Cause he like maybe. is he like jumps into action. But I feel like there's some connection there of like he was smart and then his brain got busted up. But now after they take a brain sample, he kind of, he's not smart again, but he's definitely more like gung ho, you know? And which also another thing I think is great earlier is when the dad is telling that story, you know, I feel like a lesser director would, you know, do like they fall asleep during it, you know? And I think would have like, he tells this whole moving story and music swells. And then at the end you cut and they're like asleep. And... I'm like, I like that he doesn't, I, I forget what exactly it cuts to at the end of that scene. It, there's something else it moves on to, but like, I like that he didn't do it that way. That like yeah. halfway through the story, it cut, he's still telling it and you just sort of see them nod off and you're like, oh yeah, they fell asleep and he still just keeps going is, is yeah. almost, you know, and it's not like a kind of like cut, whoops, they were asleep. Like right. literally the cut that would happen in a commercial, you know, would, would yeah. do that. That's how they did it, that joke, you know? Yeah, that's that's when they see the monster. That's when they right. go yes. to unload on them. And he, yes, he's yes, like, yes. oh, look, there it is out the window. But yeah. um, also, so I also went back and forth on like what was going on with this brain surgery thing. And I wasn't sure if this was like just like if they were like prepping him for the surgery and it hadn't actually happened yet. Right. Or if this, like you said, had like, sort of cured what ailed him 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, and 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 whatever was going on with his brain, but. You know, he he makes it work. He threatens to spray them with the blood and he takes this yeah. nurse hostage. Because even when he comes out of that trailer, I was like, okay, is this supposed to be telling us, oh, this was all just like a set kind of like they're in the weird trailer on the outskirts of town. None of this, was, he didn't really have surgery, but then they are so scared of the blood that I'm like, oh no, it's just like a weird triage unit. <laughs> they're not like in a yeah. hospital. They're, it's, it's a, that, by the way, that the actress he's like threatening with the knife, she's really like her physical comedy is really funny. I was watching her and she is just so funny the way she like is getting dragged and screaming and stuff and, and uh, mad at him. Like which yeah. is not just in fear, she's like mad at him, but then scre- like I was I was really appreciated her. She was making me laugh. Yeah, she was really great. And he does he gets outside this triage unit and I, again, really love the cinematography here as the camera starts super wide. And then as he runs across the way, it starts to like zoom in. Mm -hmm. Namil meets a homeless man who breaks a soju bottle (laughs) over his head uh, after he's rude, but agrees to help him nonetheless. And they're taking a taxi to the north side of the bridge, hoping to use Molotov cocktails that he's making to attack the creature. But this is also when we find out that there is this environmental protest um, that they're gathering at that same place to sort of fight the Agent Yellow release. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where it gets back. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that earlier, but where I was like, based even on what they've said in the news, certainly, yeah, there would be protesters. They're sort of like once it releases about like 10 like seconds after everyone scatters, you're like, okay, I mean, I get it's all, it's, it's, you know, chaos and movie logic. But I was like, <laughs> So wait, are they saying like the government would have just is willingly like killing all these people, but it doesn't kill them. They just kind of get sick. Yeah. You know, and so you're like, okay, was that another lie? I guess, I guess based on what, look, I'm just sort of talking it out for myself. Right now, <laughs> but I guess there was another lie, right? That's what we're sort of led to believe. Like it's maybe not, le- I mean, cause even the creature doesn't die from it. So it was just yeah. kind of a. It, it's untested and everything. I think maybe yeah. they they thought it might. They thought Again, it would. It, yeah, it's yeah. like where where does it where is the line between lies and incompetence for these government yeah. officials? And yeah, I think that it constantly asks you to try and find that line, and it's very difficult. Yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> Pioncio wakes up, and she knows that they don't have long. Plus, it looks like the creature is sleeping, so they make moves. And she runs up his back and grabs the rope, and it looks like a success. But that's again, great. really incredible subversion. Yeah, the camera holds on her, and eventually she lets go of the rope, but doesn't move. And the camera pulls out to reveal that she's been grabbed by the creature's tail, who was just faking sleep to lure them out. And. She and Seiju try to make a break for it back to their hiding spot, but they're quickly gobbled up by this fish. Just such an incredible scene. Took me by complete surprise. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and she wanted the kid to stay in, and he comes out. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of twists and turns in this movie where, yeah, they, it isn't the people that don't die. Uh, I mean, people do die sort of heroically, but even that gets subverted. It's, it's in like, I've said subverted like, 20 times uh it's a subverted kind of movie guys (laughs) but like it's 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 not like a callous like anyone could die and they could die horrifically i mean i know everyone talks about that jurassic world death where it's (laughs) like you're just like what i guess anyone might die and it might be horrified but seemed cruel (laughs) yeah like uh they 
it doesn't feel like arbitrary, but it also isn't like, oh, good, everyone died after they like got to complete their arc, right. you know, or whatever, or at the perfect moment in the movie and stuff. And like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll get to a little more here in a sec. But yeah, no, that's, definitely. That's, People are interrupted sort of mid arc. And I think that that is really incredible. Gangdu, he finds the creature and he sees uh, Hyunseo's arm hanging out of its mouth and he follows it to the shore where the protest is happening. As it attacks the crowd, though, Agent Yellow is released. They drop it down, and it seems to have only stunned this creature. But a, the cop is shooting at it, and so Gang Du tackles him to make sure that he doesn't kill anyone inside because he thinks that yeah. Hyun Seo might still be in there since she clearly made it before. Gang Du, he pulls her out of the mouth, though, and sees her still clutching uh, Seju. Mm-hmm. Again, just like emotionally devastating to see him have gone through all of this and all he can do at the end is just kind of like hold on to her corpse and have at least that sort of uh, satisfaction of of having her back that way. But yeah. And when the Agent Yellow is released, we see some people like puke and stuff, right? Or does anyone it doesn't look like anyone actually nosebleeds and stuff. Yeah. 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 You know, what's funny. And maybe this is what you're about to get to. But it's, you know, one second from now when he's after he leaves the the little boy lying there and he's carrying her away mm-hmm. it looks like she does have two bullet holes in her back i think uh, like i feel like maybe they are saying the guy shooting is what killed her and not oh, the monster man. it's like she's obviously clearly like filthy too so yeah. it sort of is like maybe those are just two like focal points of filth but i think they're saying he shot her wow that's a, look. I I'll be honest. I didn't notice that, but that is really makes it even more potent of a yeah. of a devastating scene. Good lord! It, it, it that's that's really great. Um, I have to go back and 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 read. Yeah, take that. a look. Maybe maybe uh maybe I'm just interpreting the the pattern of, of <laughs> muck on her her back to to be bullet holes. But I feel like there's even two, the like, distinct points on her back that look like yeah. Yeah, even if it is just dirt, the fact that they are kind of leaving that like ability for you to be like, oh, is it? Is it not? Yeah, I think yeah. is really great. But he he goes back to attack the creature with the help of his siblings and the homeless man who are throwing the Molotov cocktails and pouring gasoline on it. Another look, hey, I'm going to say it again too. Another great subversion where you think he's going to nail it with this Molotov cocktail, and then it just slips out yeah, of his hand on the so line. So funny, up. and then it's like it is funny that like okay, this is. The one sort of like stupid corkboard arc that they do, but like knowingly because they know it's funny where like she steps up and she sticks the arrow in the flame and you're like, oh, she couldn't fire earlier and now she, is, <laughs> she was indecisive and now she'll be decisive. And it's like it's it's done in enough like they know they're doing a stupid arc. Like yeah. it's like winky about it and stuff. And yeah, they even kind of tease it earlier where too. it looks like she's going to sh- like get the shot off before. And yeah. then she gets like kind of knocked out of the way, you know, it as much as it is kind of like a silly, like, yep. Yeah, all right. Completed arc. It is still like very satisfying. For oh, me it's that awesome. She, like like nails I, that dude in the eye and he just ignites in flames. I feel like if I watched it with a crowd, people would cheer. Like as soon as yeah. you see her like step up and like light the arrow. Like I love <laughs> that so much. It like fills me with like, yeah, joy. It's so great. Yeah. And the creature goes to run for the water to extinguish itself. But Gang Du emerges from behind a pillar and he lets the beast impale itself on the pole that he's carrying. Another great finally mouth shot. Dying. Yes. Really great. <laughs> it's so gross. 
it's it's kind of bittersweet for me in the same way that like when Godzilla loses, it's yeah. kind of bittersweet where we created this thing yeah, and it just tried to live. And then we're like, oh, got to put it down now. Uh, you know? Yeah. There's like a, a Frankensteinian kind of uh, element to it that I find really fascinating. Yeah, it is. I mean, look, and this is maybe the craziest thing about the movie is that the girl dies. Like the yeah. person they spent the whole time trying to save that people give their lives trying to save her, or at least the dad does. And that she then doesn't make it, but that she, you know, sort of died to save someone else. Again, just not what I would have thought of, you know, not, not what you're conditioned to expect in a horror movie where it's like, oh, the person you're trying to save the whole time died. Like, yeah, I mean, he must, I just wonder if it's somebody was like, look, I want everything you sort of expect to happen to not happen. And so, look, when you have a, a, a rescue kind of movie, the person, li- everyone else, you know, it's safe and private Ryan. Everyone else is going to die along the way, but then they'll save the person. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to do that. I want the person to actually die at the end, but probably was like, oh, it's a little too bleak if they just like <laughs> utterly fail. So I'll give an even cuter little kid that <laughs> she saves to like, you know, balance it out and stuff. Just so it's not totally my like, yeah, my my undermining the tropes uh, right. energy the whole time that there's still some stuff where you can feel a little bit of hope. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and you do get that hope because they're they're mourning Hyunseo, but Gangdu does revive and comfort Seju. And we get another cut. It's snowing now and Gangdu no longer has blonde hair to indicate that time yeah. has passed. <laughs> this is another as he looks out on the river there. That's a, it's it's exactly like that shot I was talking about at the beginning overlooking oh, the the overhead shot of the uh, the bird's eye view of the river. It's I'm like, is there something in the shot? Like, I want to like pause and watch the slow motion. Like, is there any like little thing we should see that's kind of a indicator, or are we just looking at a, a unmodified, no CGI at all shot, and and we're just trying to like find it and and you know imagine maybe there was a little like, yeah flip there, a little yeah, movement or something. Great. Yeah, it's it's so hard to tell. It is. I, I mean, he is the same way, you know. And he grabs the gun, doesn't see anything. He relaxes a little bit, but this was an insanely traumatic situation that he just yeah. went through. Like he is probably never going to be fully relaxed there. And honestly, who knows what else could come out of the river? Yeah, it's so funny when he says food, and then the kid immediately wakes up. Yeah. <laughs> the kid like loves to eat. It's really good. Yes, he uh, he looks over. We see he's a job adopted Seju, which is nice. Seiju finally got his wish to live in the snack shack as yes. he wanted. Yeah. Um, but he he also, I like that he does the kind of thing that the creature did where he's like sleeping and then does this spring so, up. It's kind of yeah. like he learned it from the creature. Yeah, yeah. They have their meal together and they turn off the broadcast of a U.S. investigation committee commenting on, quote, the Korean virus incident. Yeah. Um, before we get one final beautiful shot of the standalone in the quiet of the night, illuminated by a single lamppost as the snow falls peacefully. That's another thing that, again, might be <laughs> the the subtitle translation but where it's like i think this it's like the u.s senate investigation yeah. <laughs> and you're like the what the, the u.s senate investigated an incident i mean look i guess there could have been senate subcommittee hearings in the u.s on what was our involvement in this and, and right. maybe maybe it, maybe it totally makes sense but it, it just there's something that rings a little like 
off about that. But um, that's another funny thing, I think, in the movie, too, where obviously I've spent a lot of this time just so I'm not just like, this was great, this was great, <laughs> talking about the stuff that I'm a little, like, gray on, where I'm like, I'm not quite sure who knows what about the virus and what was real and what was fake and what they knew was going to work or not work, you know, with, with the Agent Yellow. But it is another funny thing where it's like, yeah, normally there would be some movie thing that has a news conference that explains <laughs> exactly what happened. And that like, it's not that he turns it off, which he eventually does at the end, but like they are sort of saying it, but he's also kind of talking over it. And you can't quite hear it. And you're like, wait, I'm trying to get my <laughs> end of horror movie. Like, Closure. News. Yeah. And, and then he like shuts it off and it's, but I think it just, you know, I think all of that contributes to like this overall thing of like, yeah, if you were like the, like movies are edited around this, like, telling information to the viewer so they get the like full perspective and i think some movies also are about like we got to get the truth out there well and we make one call to the press and then they'll get on the news and then everyone knows about the truth about this you know crazy thing that's happening or that you gotta whatever and it's so uh, people have this like focus on like information getting like out there to the public like the public being informed and stuff yeah i do think that it is like if you were if you were in a situation where someone's your family is in harm's way or is in danger or in peril and, and your focus just going to be trying to get them and you're not really going to stop and like watch the news and give a shit as to like what all this stuff is going, you know, what all this getting explained about the science of the virus or the origin of the creature, whatever. You're just like, I don't care. I'm just going to go try to get the creature, like my daughter back from the creature. So I I feel like, I think that's probably a thing he watched in a lot of horror movies or a, Maybe not probably. I would guess maybe Vongji watched a lot of horror movies and, and just sort of action, you know, kind of movies as well. And was like, who, if I was in this situation, who cares? <laughs> like, I'm so bored as a viewer when they cut to like that stuff. And I only care about the characters and the, like, are they accomplishing what they, you know, how do they feel and what are their ups and downs and stuff? And <laughs> it is funny to set up all this stuff that, is sort of confusing within the movie. Like it's, it's not that it's not confusing. It is a little confusing. And then, <laughs> and then go, eh, fuck you for wanting to <laughs> get the explanation at the end. I'm not even going to show it to you. Right. It's like, like I was saying earlier, I was like, this movie didn't even need to have a virus element. He like added it in, made it confusing. And then was like, I'm not going to tell you what it was, <laughs> but I think that's awesome. Yeah. It is just like funny where it feels like he's pulling both from like, Oh, I want to say something about how governments are lying. And you know, like I said, 2006, like, sure he was writing it in the, you know, 2004, all the WMD stuff, all the Bush stuff. I'm sure that was all like, I need to say something about how governments are lying, but I also love movies and I don't want to make a movie that makes the the same boring, like standard choices. So I'm going to do stuff that is this WMD, you know, that's like pulling from like this sort of social critique, but I'm also doing like a sort of film critique and I'm going to, and he finds this like cool balance between the two, I think. I totally agree. I think that he doesn't let the messaging get in the way of making a fun movie. And mm-hmm. uh, that is absolutely to his credit. And now, Neil, we've reached the point of the show where we All sum right. up why this is not just a great movie, but is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. Oh, my and gosh. so I'm going to let you kick things off. I just blew it. I should have just saved what <laughs> I just said. Uh, yeah, but I do think that is th- that true. I think it's. Uh, look, just the filmmaking alone, the lighting, the 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 camera movement, the the 
you know, just the craft of that is like unparalleled. Is is at a level way above not just horror movies generally, but but most movies. You know, I mean, there's a reason he's probably he's at least in the conversation of like the best director alive right now. Definitely. So there's the filmmaking. The actors are great. Performances across the board. You know, are are, are funny and and you know, man, it, it's a tough tightrope to be this like. We got to believe them. We're, we want them to succeed. We're rooting for them. But they also like sometimes it is it's like, yeah, it goes into this sort of like melodrama and and this uh, uh, and everyone. And it's like sort of funny and everyone manages to kind of, you know, it's like when you watch like a Coen Brothers movie. I feel like you like kind of walk that same line. Yeah. Um, and uh, Creature looks cool. Gross. Sure slimy. Does. Love, love <laughs> something. It's like repulsive to look at. Uh, yeah. And I do just like sometimes I think with horror like I say, I love horror movies. And and so I say this with all affection. But I sometimes think, like, the bar is a little low for, like, a horror movie needing to be, like, about something. Uh, I mean, you would hopefully want any movie to be about something other than what's just, like, the plot on screen. Mm-hmm. And I think that is... Uh, I think if... In a weird way with horror, like, if it, if you're just, like, about one thing at all, you're like, whoa, this is pretty, like... This movie's actually, like, about... And... Uh, so when you see things that like are really well done, like a get out or midsummer or something like that, uh, just to talk about like modern ones where you're like, Oh, this is about like something. It's a, it's a, the trappings of a horror movie, but there's something else going on here that yeah. the filmmaker is expressing through using horror. And like I say, I do think some those are great examples, but, but there can be praise put on ones where I'm like, yeah, it's about like the slightest thing. And I feel like if you were like, that's what my like drama is about. (laughs) People would be like, okay, (laughs) like, but you got like all the entertainment of horror, you know? So uh, maybe I'm not being very eloquent here, but, uh, the, uh, I don't know. I just, yeah, I like that. It's, it manages to do all this stuff where it is a movie sort of about how movies work. It's also a movie about things in the world and about how, things that were going on in the world at the time sort of translated into this, yeah, social critique, but never letting that stuff get in the way of like the characters and the human story at the heart of it and stuff. And so, I mean, that's what you're striving for. I feel like if you're making a movie horror or otherwise is to like have something there, but not just have the movie feel like it's an essay and it's yeah. like, here's my point And the characters are going to kind of adjust so I can make my good <laughs> point that I could have just written an essay about it's, right. it's you know it, 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 the its priorities are in order I totally agree to me this is the best horror movie ever made because you do get to engage with it on multiple levels on the one hand it is this allegorical piece about class and how the people on the lowest rungs of the social ladder are often the ones that are taken advantage of the most. Civil liberties go right out the window in a pandemic. There's price gouging. There's misleading media. And so if you want to engage with that stuff, it's all there. If you want to think about, oh, who knows this virus is fake and who doesn't, you can think about that stuff. But also, if you want to come to this and be like, I want to watch a fun movie that has a monster in it and you know, we get to watch these characters that I like, this exists on that level as well. It's not one or the other. And the fact that it does sort of create, it, it, it functions as a just well-executed piece of cinema and as a message movie. And it, neither one of the levels suffers because of the other, yeah. which is incredibly difficult to do. 
Yeah. And uh, like you said, I mean, the performances are just absolutely spectacular. The cinematography and everything I called out a few times. I am notoriously terrible at paying attention to the score. And even I called out a few moments in this movie where it was really, really great. Yeah, there was some scene. I think I think that moment you're talking about with the score. Is that where she also kind of runs under the bridge? Yeah. Now, it might just be bringing to mind like Goldeneye or something. But I was like watching that. I was like, <laughs> oh, why don't you know we should do like a Bond movie? Oh, man. But then I was like, you know what? I bet he's been offered everything. I think he deliberately, I think he's even said he's been offered a lot of like superhero movies. I think he doesn't want to make a superhero movie. Right. Doesn't want, and which is James Bond essentially is. You know, I think it's. Uh, he can just put uh, all that stuff into his own movies. I know. That's the I'm like, no, keep, keep doing, I'm, I'm glad he's doing his own. I, I, in general, <laughs> I wish more people did that. Like, but yeah, it's, it's, you just watch some of that stuff where you're like, if he wanted to, he would make the best ones of those but yeah. absolutely absolutely and uh he certainly did it here and and that's why this is the best horror movie ever made neil i want to thank you so much for coming on dude this was an of absolute course, yeah. blast yeah thank you do you want to tell the people where they can find you any plugs or anything oh i wish i had a plug <laughs> probably be coming out in like january january okay um no i wish i i mean i i i'm horrible at using social media <laughs> I, I i rarely ever do and i uh yeah i don't uh if I have something to plug by by January, I'll, I'll uh, let I'll me send know. you a little voice clip, and you can have it clearly <laughs> clearly was recorded later. And be like, actually, I'd like to plug this. So, um, well, is uh, yeah. if you don't have anything to plug, is there something that you're just enjoying that you want to direct people towards? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Let me uh, edit out my pause here, as I think okay. for a second. Uh, <laughs> Ah, yes, I have it. And I didn't even pause to think. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, my friends, uh, the Sloppy Boys have been doing a podcast, Tim Kalfakis, Jefferson Dutton, and Mike Hanford. And uh, I've been listening to that, and it it makes me laugh a lot. And and my friends and college classmates, Paul Rust and Mike Cassidy, are doing a podcast uh, called Song a Week uh, by Don't Stop or We'll Die. And those have been that's been making me laugh too. So listen to the Sloppy Boys and the Don't Stop or We'll Die a podcast. In addition oh, yeah. to this podcast, which <laughs> Robert was, uh, Jeff was actually just on as well. To uh, oh, really? and, he, and he plugged his uh, his pod as well. So definitely. Oh wow! Check well, it now out. the ratings are going to skyrocket. What did <laughs> Jeff, what did Jeff watch? Uh, he watched Reanimator. Oh, that's good. I was yeah. I, I was hoping it would be something I had claim credit for, but <laughs> Jeff, Jeff's really good on horror. He, he he's not. It was a, a fun conversation, and I definitely agree that people should be listening to their podcasts as well. So definitely go check those out. As far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at Little Horror PHL. You can find the show. I mean, that's pretty much the username everywhere. Uh, if you're really enjoying the show and you're like, man, I wish I had this, but without ads and early and also maybe even bonus episodes, there's a Patreon, too, that you can support um, various tiers. And that's patreon.com forward slash little horror PHL. So go check that out um, and rate and review the show on iTunes if you're enjoying it. All right. That's it for me. Thanks, everyone. Bye.